Tuning into Protestia tonight for June 6th, 2023. I am your host, David Morrill. This is the program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting new sinners, and edifying to the saints, a program with sincere questions and biblical answers. Thank you so much for tuning in. As some of you may have noticed, the program is on the Protestia Tonight YouTube channel and the Protestia youtube channel because we finally were able to get after months of wrangling with youtube the ownership of the protesty youtube channel in full and that that probably doesn't mean a whole lot except it means that we can we can live stream this from the actual protesty youtube channel which is a that's a good thing i think that that that'll be a good thing for us um going forward um i will be talking with the patrons which, by the way, this program is brought to you by our untrip, uh, intrepid patron supporters uh, who for only $5.95 a month support this program and protestia.com and all of the research done within on a financial level. And uh, you, can, you can do that as well if you are not currently a patron and you get full access to this program, which includes the freeloader portion you are listening to right now and the PTVIP, which is where you guys get to control the content of the program by asking sincere questions that we will answer. I sent the, the, um, the patrons a, a little message earlier today asking for questions about the um, upcoming Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, and uh, they responded with a whole bunch of questions, which I hope that we can get through a lot of them in the normal content, the freeloader side of the program, because I was already planning on talking about some of these things. And then maybe dive into some additional details on the PT VIP. Glad to see people on the chat. Um, thank you for joining us. Now, as as I said at the beginning, this program is well, it's really dedicated to the same thing that the website, you know, protestia.com is dedicated to, which is, as we put up a little tagline up there, cataloging theological mischief makers since 2012. And we are going to be diving back into that catalog to um, to discuss the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a lot of SBC stuff over really over the past couple of years that we have uh, cataloged in uh, excruciating detail, maybe over at the website. And I would, I mean, if you go over to protesty.com right now and search SBC, um, yeah, the material will not stop. I think it's something like I think when I went over and searched it, I you know, actually see it here. I went over and searched uh, SBC, I think, trying to right now. Yeah, here we go. I have this this sneaking suspicion that my computer might be being dragged down by streaming to, um, well, probably not. We're streaming to Rumble and Twitter and Facebook and two YouTube channels at the same time. So I, I don't know uh, if that's going to blow us up eventually or not. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, so search results for SBC will get you 63 pages of articles over at protestia.com. And we're going to be relying on some of that as we talk about really kind of what to expect maybe from the meeting next week, but also 
really just the hot button issues, which have changed. I mean, they're the same issues really that we've been talking about the past couple of years, but of course the, the, the people involved have changed a little bit. Some of the, some of the, uh, the developments over the last year have changed. We're going to be going through that. Um, yeah. See a lot of great, uh, uh, patron supporters on, on the chat. Um, jumping in. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining. I see uh, Violet there. Go check out her channel, Berean Babes, on YouTube. Um, if you uh, if you want um, intelligence uh, truncated, I say truncated in a good way, like not taking forever in your whole life, um, cataloging of kind of some of the stuff that we talk about and current issues in evangelicalism, that's a great uh, YouTube channel to subscribe to. Uh, yeah, see, see Joshua and, and Greg on there. Thanks for joining fellas. Um, anyway, let's, let, let's get to it. Now, before we get to this, of course, the purpose of really any Christian ministry is always first and foremost, the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we go through that before we get into any of the details of any of the stuff going on. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that while you and I were born into sin, Everybody was born into sin except Christ himself. Uh, you and I were born into sin, unable to reconcile ourselves to God. God has a holy and just and perfect standard for obedience and righteousness that we simply have no ability to uphold because of our sin. And we're, we're born into it, but even if we weren't, I would argue we would still sin and wind up bearing that punishment. And yet God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus Christ to the earth to pay that price in our place. Jesus was born of a virgin, therefore not inheriting original sin like the rest of us did, lived a perfect life, earning righteousness that we had no ability to earn for ourselves, and then died a death on the cross in our place, a sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross. The Bible says that if you would place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you can and will be saved. Repent of your sins, turn from your sins, Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, and that relationship with God is restored. The Bible says we are made new creations, born again, and um, really restored to uh, fellowship with God, and also um, not at that point facing eternal punishment uh, in hell for our sins, Um Jesus died on that cross and was buried and on the third day raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering death, proving his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father um, for the purpose of saving um, a people of his own choosing. And if you place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, salvation can be yours. That is the purpose of all of this. The gospel of Jesus Christ um, and the 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 salvation of his people through his work on the cross is it informs everything else we do. Every other part of this ministry, it's why we argue over doctrine. It's why we identify false teachers, because guess what? They preach a false Jesus and their false gospel has no power to save. And we want to make sure you know the difference. We want to make sure that those um, that you come into contact with can know the difference. That is, that's part of the process here. Polemics and discernment ministry is, uh, evangelical by its very nature, and we are um, uh, blessed to have uh, the support and readership and viewership of so many wonderful believers all over the country and indeed the world. And we're glad you're here. We're going to, and and I really haven't focused on it. I would argue a whole lot in the past year, even as a member of an SBC church. Um, 
I haven't focused a lot on the SBC uh, this last year, and, and frankly, that's okay. We've written plenty about it at the website. We don't necessarily need to talk about it on video, and yet the the annual meeting is, well, I guess the first day, a week from today, the first day will have concluded over in uh, in New Orleans. The, uh, the annual meeting is down in the Big Easy, and um, yeah, we're going to talk about kind of what to expect and some of the issues and, and some of the, you know, a little bit deeper discussion. First and foremost, I wanted to, to give a special thanks to um, those that might be listening that uh, contributed to the GoFundMe to get protested to the SBC. Uh, that was uh, very, um, very helpful, very helpful, and uh, we're very blessed uh, that people uh, threw some threw some money in the kitty to, uh, and I, it's going to be me. As you know, it's going to be me. I'm going to be going over there. So I'm going to try to wear the white hat. So if you catch me in the crowd or something, I mean, look for the white hat. I'll try to wear it the whole time I'm there, much to the chagrin of my fellow uh, church messengers from my church. They probably don't want me to wear the hat, but how else are you going to find me? It's a big crowd. And so if you want to come up and say hi and, and, and introduce yourselves, you know, it's sometimes I've, I found last year and the year before that people that I ran across at the meeting, um, uh, like I didn't recognize them when I first saw them, even though we like interacted and seen each other online. It's, it's, it's different in person. I don't know why. Um, uh, but I found that interesting. I'll keep where I'll, I'll, I'll try to make sure that I wear the hat to just to make sure that you can find me. Um, it'll be difficult for me to find you unless you, you know, got your own protestia gear or something that you're wearing there, which I mean, by all means, please do. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to, um, my, my wife and I will be there, uh, both days. So we'll be, we'll be, uh, uh, going there. Uh, we'll be there Tuesday morning and then we'll be leaving, uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday evening after the uh, stuff, uh, concludes and we'll be back in the Denver area, hopefully late Wednesday night. And, yeah, come by and say hi. Again, thank you to everybody for contributing to the expense of of making that happen. I will tell you this in all in all um um candor, uh the the money being con- that was contributed um specially for to make this happen is not paying for my wife to go out there. Just want to make make that clear. Um that's I I used uh, uh travel points and things on a, on a, on one of the credit cards that I used to pay my bills routinely to get that going. So um, anyway, so let's, let's, let's dig into it. Here's what I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk first, first about the, the presence of a, a, a leftward drift in the convention, which I have, and, and many others have chronicled and talked about and believe is happening. Uh, I want to talk about the, the current president of the SBC, Bart Barber, the one of the gentlemen running for SBC president, Mike Stone, who ran two years ago in 2021 and was, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, Shanghai. There was some dirty pool played against Mike Pool or Mike Stone, excuse me, in 2021. And then Willie Rice, who was going to run for SBC president, he was going to be the the quote unquote establishment candidate. Let's say it that way in 2022, and through a series of events that didn't happen, and Bart Barber wound up being the establishment candidate you know he apparently he had paid enough of his dues at the erlc and and his other positions he you know he'd fetched coffee enough for the other guys on the platform that was like okay fine we'll you know we'll 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 give it to you this time you know you you pretty much do what we need you to do so we'll make sure it's you um i want to talk about rick warren of course and this issue of women pastors that that is really 
probably the biggest issue going into this meeting is this issue. Rick Warren, uh, women pastors defining uh, what the Bible teaches about that. And then also a little bit of an update on the, the sex abuse, uh, the implementation task force. Because you remember in 2021, the messengers voted to commission a sex abuse task force and produce what wound up being a super expensive and kind of inconsequential report on sex abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. They presented the report prior to last year's meeting. Last year's meeting, they present this report going into it. We read the report and, and really determine um, that there is no systemic sex abuse problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. The, the, the crux and, the, and the, the large majority of that report was about um, a couple cases where it's not even clear that it was sex abuse. Like, it's clear that ba- some, some sin happened for sure. But we got to be very careful and, and really delineate between, okay, this is abuse and this is an adulterous affair between two consenting adults and figure that out uh, before we can run around saying, well, sex abuse is all over the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so I want to I talk about that. And then and one of the, one of the um, maybe, maybe the uh, you know, abuse survivor, we think, I, I haven't even seen evidence that this is the case, but uh, Hannah Kate Williams, who was standing up there next to Grant Gaines in 2021, um, emotionally, I would argue, emotionally manipulating the messengers into going on to this fool's errand, and it was a fool's errand, of uh, hiring guideposts and putting this big expensive report together and then um, commissioning another task force to implement it and all of that has been nothing but a fool's errand and the purpose for which was not actual evidence of widespread sex abuse in the convention. It was one side politicking against another side. It was one side deciding that, Hey, the culture, the narrative in the culture right now is that, uh, is me too. It's church too. It's abuses everywhere. It's, it's all over the place. Abuses everywhere. And th- therefore, um, we have to follow the culture. If the culture thinks this is going on and it's important to them, well, then it's got to be important to us. Oh, and, and by the way, we can, you know, as platformers, as I, I, I think I call them institutionally connected careerists or institutionally embedded careerists, we can use this to solidify our power. If this is going to be an issue, if this is going to be something that is going to uh, take fr- become front and center in the convention, we have to make sure and that we are seen as the ones that are that are really concerned and really supporting this and 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 totally understanding of what the world is saying against us. Um, you found these platformers adopting the rhetorical and moral and epistemological framework of the world and trying to just sort of out virtue signal the conservatives and especially the conservative Baptist network. And that's kind of what happened to Mike stone in 2021. That's the stuff we're going to be going through and we're going to try to move fast. Cause I don't have a ton of time. Um, I don't want to make the, you know, a two, three hour live stream. Don't want to go that long. So we're going to try to move through it quickly. So uh, some of you remember this was, um, this was put out in 
the beginning of this year, 2023, by the Conservative Baptist Network, um, this this uh, document entitled "The Evidences of Concern Within the Southern Baptist Convention," um, prepared by Clayton Carson and a team of researchers from the Conservative Baptist Network. Now, I, I find it a little bit funny here. That, I mean, that that's a really nice way to say it. I think the evidences of concern. That's a really that's a really kind way to say it. But basically, they say, okay, here's here's evidences of critical race theory in the convention. And they go through Matthew Hall, who now is at Biola, but at the time he was at Southern, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He was a, he was a dean. Um, Jarvis Williams, who teaches at uh, Southern, Walter Strickland, who teaches at Southeastern, uh, Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern, um, Kevin Smith, uh, who is former Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware Executive Director, um, Dottie Lewis, former president of the Sin Network, which is the church planting arm of the North American Mission Board. Um, just, I mean, evidence after evidence of, of critical, the, the infiltration of critical race theory in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, they go back through, talk about Resolution 9, uh, Resolution 2, um, back in 2019. Um, talk about Albert Moeller, who on his, like his podcast was very opposed apparently on, on his, um, I forgot what he called it. Yeah. The daily podcast, the briefing that Alan, Al Moeller does, uh, very vocally critical of crit- critical race theory in the convention and resolution nine. And yet was silent as far as I can tell back in when, when this was really an issue. And then in 2021, the attempted correction of resolution nine, pastor Mike stone, along with 1300 additional co-submitters released a proposed resolution to be considered in 2021 Nashville which I think was the, maybe the biggest SBC annual meeting in terms of attendance in a long time, 15,000 people at 2021 um, Nashville. And um, they, they had proposed a, a resolution to really correct the errors of resolution nine and was not taken up by the, by the credentials committee. Guess who was on the credentials committee in 2021? Well, it was James Merritt, the chair uh, excuse me, I said the credentials committee, the, the resolutions committee, the resolutions committee chaired by James Merritt and happened to have Bart Barber, none other than current SBC president, Bart Barber refusing to, um, bring this. So the committee on resolutions on which current 2022 SBC president, Bart Barber served declined to bring the resolution for the resolution, despite it being co-submitted by more than 1300 Southern Baptists. So the fix is in, I mean, we have cataloged the, in some cases, just foolish, foolish argumentation, inexcusably foolish argumentation put forward by Bart Barber on the issue of abortion, especially abortion, abolitionism versus the pro-life movement. Um, indefensible, indefensible ignorance. And that's putting it mildly because I don't think he's an ignorant guy. I think this is purposeful. We'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, but this, this document is over at uh, the conservative Baptist network.com. And if you're unfamiliar with these issues, especially if you are a, um, an SBC messenger, if you're going to be at new Orleans voting for these things and you don't know what we're talking about, you're, you don't know, uh, the, you know, sort of the background behind this, I would recommend you go read it, head over to, um, conservative baptist and read through these issues um 
but yeah, to say that there's no leftward drift in the, in the convention is, is ignorance. It's just, and it, or, or it's shifting the goalposts. Cause you'll find guys in the, in the platform camp, the institutionally embedded camp that will say, no, no, we're all conservatives. We're all conservatives, but they say that by just shifting the definition of what that really means to make sure that they're, you know, within the norm. But, but as far as Southern Baptists go, biblical inerrantists, supposedly, um, those committed to sufficiency, biblical sufficiency, and literal interpretation of the text, to, uh, within that camp, these guys are not conservative. That's why the Conservative Baptist Network exists, why it was formed to begin with. And, of course, Mike Stone, who's going to be, uh, who's running for SPC president, I say running, they don't really do it that way. It's not like there's um, an official candidacy declared. He, he has to be nominated at the meeting prior to messengers voting. Um, we're going to get into, uh, the, many of you have seen that uh, he's going to be nominated by none other than Willie Rice, which I find, I find intriguing. I find it intriguing, and we'll get into some of the details why. Um, Mike Stone is, is, I don't know if he's the chair, or I mean, he's in, in like a leadership position within the Conservative Baptist Network. Uh, he, this, he is, uh, um, running again for SPC president this time around. Um, actually that's kind of next on the thing. Let's go to this article. This is over at the dissenter, um, entitled former SPC presidential candidate turns on the establishment and will nominate Mike stone in 2022. An epic scandal erupted in the SBC when Willie Rice, an establishment pick for president, was chosen to be nominated by establishment S. Uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary trustee board chairman Clint Presley to oppose the conservative candidate Tom Askell. I, I mean, this, this is intriguing to me mainly because Tom Askell and Mike Stone would be largely aligned on everything Southern Baptist. You know, more or less, I, I would assume. And so 2022 the conservative Baptist network gets behind Tom Askell in Anaheim and uh, he ends up running uh, versus Bart Barber uh, gets his clock cleaned. I would argue for, for a variety of reasons. Um, we've been critical of Tom Askell on some things over the years, but I think uh, it, to a large extent it was when, when the convention is somewhere that's, that's sort of away from the hub of Southern Baptist uh, uh, life and, where the majority of Southern Baptist churches are and things like that. Um, the advantage in some of these things shifts to the institutionally embedded SBCers, um, the institutionalists, because the North American mission board and uh, SBC institutions can actually fund their people to go long distances to be voting messengers. And of course you have to be there in person to be voting messenger where smaller churches that don't have the money to do this, they're, 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 and a lot of them that are in the South are not going to Anaheim to participate. They may go to New Orleans. We'll see. The article continues during this fiasco after the nomination announcement was made, it became public knowledge that Rice was being nominated at the time to oversee the brewing sex abuse scandal, which feminists like Rachel Den Hollander were heading. True. It became known that Rice's church had placed in leadership another person who had been accused of sexually abusing a woman. Um, some of you remember we had reported on this back last year that a, a deacon at, at Willie Rice's church, um, uh, Jeff Ford had apparently um, been involved in some abuse 
um, purportedly, and I have no reason to, to, to doubt this, purportedly prior to his conversion to Christ. Um, the problem was that purportedly it was before his conversion, and yet he was involved in institutional Christian ministry at the time that this happened. And so, like, normally I would say, I, I would argue that if somebody has been guilty of such things before their conversion to Christ, um, that that wouldn't necessarily disqualify somebody from um, a ministry leadership position. We expect lost people to act like lost people. Um, the challenge is if somebody is a professing Christian at the time this happened, that's a lot more troubling. We don't know, and I would always argue, we don't know the moment that somebody um, is born again. I don't know the moment I was born again. And so it's it's hard for us to say, well, um, you know, Jeff Ford uh, wouldn't have known any better at the time that what he was doing was wrong. He, he, he would have, he was in, in Christian ministry, but anyway, to, to fast forward Tom Buck. And, and by the way, this, this is all outlined on protestia.com. If you look for things like uh Buckgate or you search for Jeff Ford, you search for Willie Rice, you'll find some of this information just in the interest of being fully informed. But um, Tom Buck was made, made aware that this was a problem. And because Willie Rice was going to be, um, a, a candidate for president of the SBC, um, Tom, Tom Buck sent this stuff to him or, or informed him, hey, this might be an issue privately. Private, none of this was out in, in the public. Um, just told Willie, Willie Rice this behind closed doors in, an, in a confidential meeting. In response to that, I would argue, even though nobody has come out and said, yeah, we tried to harm Tom Buck because of this, but right on the heels, let's say it that way, right on the heels of... Tom Buck telling Willie Rice, this might be an issue. This is a concern. Did you know this, et cetera? Um, Tom Buck's wife, Jennifer's uh, rough draft uh, is leaked all over the place, including to um, transgender supporting Baptist news global, which is not Baptist, not news and not global. And uh, they run with it to, to harm Tom Buck. That was done to harm Tom Buck. And it's not a coincidence Let's not be silly. It's not a coincidence that ha- that that happened right after uh, Tom Buck informed Willie Rice about this. Now, I'm not saying Willie Rice had anything to do with it. I, I don't believe that that's the case. Um, but certainly, there there were those of the the SBC Voices crowd that uh, were motivated to uh, take Tom Buck off the playing field, so to speak. I mean, it's just like you know, dirty political stuff dirty political stuff going on in the Southern Baptist convention. And it, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be going that way. Um, anyway, but the article goes on to, uh, continue since then. Oh, well, Rice is Rice sort of backed out. Willie Rice backed out and said, I, I, this is a distraction. My first job is to pastor my church, which is all true. That's a, a very respectable position. That's a biblical position. Um, he said, I'm not going to pursue being SBC president because this, this kind of scandalous, you know, dirty pool stuff going on here, uh, is a distraction. So he, he, he backed down and said, I'm not going to pursue SBC president and the establishment then moved on to Bart Barber article goes on, goes on to say Barber, who was elected president after Rice's nomination was removed, has turned this sex abuse scandal into a complete circus even partnering with the denom- the denomination with pro homosexual firms namely guidepost solutions 
who would uh, be charged with overseeing the discipline against pastors and church leaders of sex abuse. In other words, under Bart Barber's leadership, the SBC hired sexual perverts to police sex abuse. That's undeniable. Undeniable that that happened and undeniable that the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee has encouraged and allowed this to happen. And only after the Florida Baptists said, if you continue down this path with guideposts, who we don't trust, and we, they, they do not share our values on the issue that they're brought in to handle, um, we will we'll hold back our contributions. So it was only after the money was on the table that the SBC executive committee said, oh, you, there's probably other groups that can do this work. Um, some of you might remember that um, uh, in, in the sex abuse, the new, the new task force, the second task force, um, this is the, the, the implementation task force that was brought in, had commissioned uh, guideposts. They, they were bring, continuing to use guideposts to have what they call a ministry check website to establish and maintain a public database of pastors, denominational workers, ministry employees, and volunteers who have at any time been credibly accused of sex, sexual abuse and who have been or are associated with cooperating Southern Baptist church or entity. So this is Baptist Press. This is uh, the, the official SBC Press outlet. It says, the Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force pivots, moves away from guideposts. This was two months ago, April 4th, 2023. Article reads that um, the uh, task force chair, Marshall Blaylock, announced Tuesday the task force will no longer recommend guidepost solutions to establish and maintain a database for those credibly accused of sex abuse. And they were going to pay guideposts, what, $5 million or something like this? for what honestly would be an incredibly simple website. I mean, Augie Bodo, is it Bodo? I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, of the Southern Baptist convention executive committee has been raked over the coals for keeping a quote unquote database of, of, uh, people possibly, you know, accused, credibly accused, convicted, whatever of sex abuse, um, who had any connection with the Southern Baptist convention whatsoever, which was just a compilation of like news reports. It wasn't some uh, deep investigation. He was just keeping a list of, Hey, I saw this in the news. Keep it here. Saw this in the news. Keep it here. So we're staying apprised of what's going on. Yes. I see. Uh, um, yeah. I see jo- Joshua say a private database was a public list of articles that were Google searched. Yeah. Well, and that, that was a, you know, they got raked over the coals Bodo and the, and the SBC got raked over the coals in the initial guidepost report for doing this as if somehow collecting news articles and keeping, staying apprised of, of potential issues like that is the same as having some sort of ecclesiastical authority over Southern Baptist churches. Um, and this has been screwed up by this process to f- from the very beginning, because from the very beginning, it was all about, how do we not look bad in the public eye? How can we make sure that we as lifelong institutionally dependent Southern Baptist platformers 
how do we make sure that we don't get dragged through the mud about this? Let's, let's act like somehow we have something to say over what local churches are doing. Like we have some sort of ecclesiastical authority here, which they don't because the world thinks that they do. And, and frankly, a lot of Southern Baptist church members, pew sitters, uh, SBC church attendees kind of think that they do also. You have to remember that, that in Southern Baptist churches, in non-denominational churches, or even like, 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 you know, Southern Baptist churches that don't use Baptist in the name. So people go there and don't even know the church is affiliated with the SBC, a cooperating church. They don't even know. Remember that a lot of these people come out of other church traditions. They come out of, you know, Lutheranism and, and Episcopalianism and, and Presbyterianism and um, Catholicism, if they'd converted from that, that false gospel and wind up in SBC churches, they assume that the church is part of a, a denominational structure in the official sense, that there is their church and then there's some sort of a governing body above their church that has ecclesiastical authority. They don't understand that the Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination in the traditional sense. So you have denomin- you know, SBC leadership here saying, Oh man, people think we have control over this and the media is going to run with it like we do. So is there some way that we can actually exercise some sort of, you know, show people we're doing something, even though we actually can't instead of what they should have done all along was defend the polity, defend church autonomy and say, you know, this, this requires whatever this accusation is, whoever this person is, this requires um, civil legal intervention, that's not what we're here for. Instead, it was like, eh, this is going to look bad. We can't be out there being um, raked over the coals by the godless world. We, we certainly can't be defending our actual beliefs and convictions if they're going to get it wrong. Which is, I mean, how part of the reason that they find themselves in the problem that they are right now. You know, the, you know, and and we, we find... The only recourse, and we've talked about this before, the only recourse that the Southern Baptist Convention has in the event they don't like something that a local church is doing is the credentials committee, is to disfellowship that church, which is, it's a difficult process, and, and honestly, they don't want to do that. Remember that for, for most SBC churches, the, the vast majority of Southern Baptist cooperating churches, the money is a one-way street. The money goes from the local churches is contributed via the cooperative program to convent the convention um, to, to the organization. And it distributes those funds via the budget to SBC entities and institutions. What those churches generally don't get uh, financial benefit coming back their direction. So the, the Southern Baptist convention has no financial motivation whatsoever to kick a church out to disfellowship a church unless the only, the only, the only motivation they have to disfellowship a church monetarily is if they find out that a whole bunch of other churches are going to leave if they don't. And so what does that create? Well, that creates a, an environment where you're going to try to make yourself as wide and palatable to as many churches as you possibly can. Um, you're going to kind of live and let live as much as you can. If there are churches who are contributing to the cooperative program or giving, giving to the Southern Baptist convention who have doctrinal issues or 
They have women pastors. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Um, they practice things that are really, you know, out of line with Orthodox biblical Christianity, out of line with the Baptist faith and message. And nobody's complaining about it. The SBC is not going to complain about it. They're not going to go try to police churches for doctrine. They're also not going to go around and they're frankly, they're incapable of doing this. They're not designed for this. It's not their job to go around policing local churches for, um, credibly, credibly accused sex offenders. That's, that's also not their job. And yet, because one side of this sort of political battle here between the more progressive SBC voices, platform institutionalists and the conservative Baptist network, because that political fight got strong enough, it was, was a, a big enough deal. These folks were all too happy to weaponize this issue against their political opponents. The entire creation of the sex abuse task force back in 2021 was nothing but weaponization. It was one group saying, Hey, we can virtue signal the loudest. We can virtue signal the most convincingly. We can adopt the world's accusations against really not only us as Southern Baptists, but, but adopt the world's accusations and framework against what we believe. We'll just buy it hook, line, and sinker if we think that we can get a step up on our political opposition in the convention. I hate to say it that way. This should not be the case among Christian brothers and sisters. And yet, what have we found out? What have we found out since that came out? First of all, we found out that we'll blow millions and millions and millions of dollars. We'll, we'll give millions and millions of dollars to an LGBTQ uh, supporting um, investigatory firm, investigative firm, Guidepost Solutions, who will produce a report not in line with what we believe, not in line with our doctrinal convictions, especially as they relate to ecclesiology, especially as they re- re- relate to um, the purpose of the convention as not a denomination. You know, that guidepost report doesn't respect any of that. It, in fact, it acts like that's the problem. That's the problem. The, the problem in Southern Baptist land is that the convention doesn't have enough dictatorial power over its churches. And instead, we could have commissioned a report that um, respected what we believe about church polity, respected what we believe about autonomy, and understood what was going on in that framework. So blew millions of dollars on this report, uh, get pressured to get the executive committee to waive attorney-client privilege, which is about the dumbest thing that you can do. Not only... Not only is it legally stupid, strategically stupid, it's immoral to do that. It is immoral to say, um, you now, as trustees and as members of the SPC Executive Committee, we, we get to basically um, invade your mind. Any private thought you have, any private discussion, any working out of something behind closed doors is now all, we, we get that. We, it, it opens the door wide for abuse of all this process. So, so we wind up with that. We wind up with, um, um, you know, the, the, and I, I, I put this out back in, this would have been June, 2022. I said, uh, SBC 
sex abuse task force materially violates 2021 motion that created it. And, and this was the problem. If you read through that guidepost report, there's a lot of redacted information back there. And yet look to um, the mo the motion itself back in 2021 said the task force was, I, was required to um, provide a written report on the factual findings of this review that shall be presented to the task force 30 days prior to the SPC annual meeting 2022 made public in full form. I put that emphasis there because if you read through the report, a lot of the stuff they were relying on was not made public, could not be adjudicated. SBC members could not figure out how valid this expensive report was. Had no ability to do it. The report contained numerous references and citations to info with links that are within Guidepost SharePoint server unavailable to the inspecting public. And said interested parties reportedly may contact the task force for information behind these non-functional links. But the 2021 motion required the report be made available in full form, not requiring additional requests from church members, media, or discernment websites like us in order to access relevant information. It has become evident, and this was last year we wrote this, almost, I actually... Literally a year ago to the day, this was 6 6 of 2022. It has become evident that the sex abuse task force and the abuse grifters that demanded its creation. And by the way, when I say abuse grifters, I want to be clear I'm not talking about abuse survivors. I'm not talking about abuse survivors, even though many abuse survivors were demanding this, this course of action. I'm talking about the, the pastors and platformers and institutional types that pivoted over to um, were the biggest. We're, we're the most heartfelt uh, supporters of the of these victims and of these survivors and all of this. I'm talking about Todd Banker. I'm talking about Grant Gaines. I'm talking about the SBC Voices crowd, the ones that trip all over themselves to make sure everybody knows how much they support the survivor community. That's what I'm talking about when I say grifters. They 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 move their emphasis to. Um, this is the most important thing about my ministry is supporting sex abuse survivors. And of course the report comes out indicating this is not a widespread problem in the SBC. It's not, um, it's not, it's not a, a systemic problem at all. And pointing to one case or two cases or three cases, or, and especially pointing to things that we can't even verify with, with certainty are sex abuse cases at all. And that becomes the bulk of this report just proves my point. <clears throat> and that's what I said, R rather than turning up any evidence of uh, s systematic bad behavior, instead revealing that EC members were largely and appropriately not involved in abuse allegations towards independent churches. They instead wasted millions of dollars of SBC church giving to collect mostly publicly available information. Yeah. We spent 5 million bucks or whatever it was to do what honestly you could have probably figured out by reading Protesti and a couple other websites for free. That's why I put the offer out there to the SBC executive committee. Say, you know, you're going to pay guidepost two $2 million or whatever it is for the silly website. Protesti will do it for half that. You know, just, just throwing that out there. You know, as long as we can be clear that this, 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 uh, this list doesn't, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to totally abandon the biblical judicial standard here. And instead we're just going to try people in the court of public opinion, which is all that website would wind up being. 
Um, and really it's, it's exactly, it's exactly what the initial report that guidepost gave us last year did the court of public opinion allegations, um, a lot of information with no, um, actual judicial conclusion being made. And that's why you have David Sills suing the SBC. Johnny Hunt suing the SBC because they refused from day one, from, from when they first started this back in 2021, the Southern Baptist convention. Um, and, and there were people protesting this course of action from the beginning, honestly, um, myself, uh, certainly protestia related ministries, uh, those that, that, that are, uh, do the same work that we do conservative members of the EC, um, guys like Rod Martin. We're protesting this unbiblical um, course of action from the very beginning, saying that this exact thing would happen. And they didn't listen because the influence and the power was more important. It was more important that they virtue signal and live action role play as the biggest abuse survivor supporters in the room. That was the most important thing. And it didn't matter if they were selling the convention down the river, which is exactly what happened. Now we find out, and you guys may have seen this because it really wasn't, um, really wasn't that long ago. Now we find out that the Southern Baptist convention is hemorrhaging resources, hemorrhaging resources. So the, the, here's how it works. Funding comes in from all of its different sources to the cooperative program and the cooperative program has a budget that it uses to distribute monetary resources to different, um, SBC institutions. One of them being the executive committee of the Southern Baptist convention, which is the, the group, the organizational governing group that handles basically does the business of the convention when the convention is not gathered. So for two days a year, the convention gathers. That's, that's the only time that the convention quote unquote exists in between that time. <clears throat> we all go back to our local churches and do local ministry and, and, you know, minister as autonomous Baptist churches two days a year, we all gather and form the convention and handle the business that should be handled by the messengers. But in between there's still other convention business to happen. Um, things to be figured out. Uh, you know, funding issues, whatever it happens to be. And the executive committee handles that, that, that business and they need a budget to do that as well. And so um, about three, this would have been back in February of this year. Um, they had a meet, there's executive committee meeting going on. And this meeting would have been on the 22nd, I believe of February and was revealed in the meeting revealed in the meeting that the, uh, that the executive committee has spent over $6 million on guidepost solutions and the sex abuse task force. And, and the, the money folks at the executive committee saying this is unsustainable. The executive committee, see if I can pull this up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dwight Easler filling in for the convention finances and stewardship chair, Archie Mason told members that the executive committee experienced a $6.7 million loss in net assets. So 
money that the executive committee should be using for um, convention business ministry. And, and I know people would say, well, this is ministry too, but they, they blew half of the money they had saved up, blew half of it in one year. When questioned about the sustainability of losing half their assets in a single year, uh, Mike, uh, I believe it's pronounced Bianchi, interim CFO, chief financial officer of the executive committee, shared, with regard to the audit, there were few items that are referred to as an emphasis of matter. The audit was an unqualified opinion, which is good. That's the highest, most favorable level you could have. But they did emphasize that the matters of the ongoing sexual abuse implementation issues, the DOG, DOJ investigation, and then also deteriorating liability of the EC. So you remember that when the executive committee waived attorney-client privilege, um, their law firm ceased to, to, to uh, have them as a customer anymore. Like the legal firm, the law firm that the executive committee paid to represent them said, we don't want to represent you. We can't represent you. You're going to act this way. You're going to do dumb stuff like this. We can't represent you. And they bailed and they've been representing him for a long, long, long time, long time. Um, but you also remember that the department of justice began to investigate the same stuff. And again, this is the, the department of justice, the federal government doesn't understand or appreciate church autonomy. They just see the Southern Baptist Convention like any other hierarchical denomination, any other denomination with a, a hierarchical structure, and assume that the convention somehow has authority in all of these matters over all, all of these local church matters, these potential sex abuse cases in local churches. Um, and so they, they open up an investigation. Why do they do that? Well, because we sat there at the 2021 meeting and at the 2022 meeting and announced to the world, we got a big sex abuse problem going around here. It's just rampant. It's everywhere. I mean, look, I mean, this girl's crying next to me. How could this not be a massive issue? How could this not be in every church? I mean, after all, if, if there's one abuse survivor here, again, unproven thus far, as far as we can tell, um, we, we have to assume that it's in all churches and it's all over the place. And the world sees that as analogous to uh, the Roman Catholic Church and priests um, diddling boys. They assume it's the same thing. It's not. The report even demonstrates that it's not. The, re the report, the guidepost report that was released in 2022 before the meeting last year was basically a denunciation of Baptist church polity more than anything else. The crux of that report was um, this institution, parachurch institution, a missional organization called the Southern Baptist Convention should be in charge of its member churches, and it isn't. And we don't like that. We think it should be different. That's that's what it was. It's like they they it's like they built this report with no respect for the fact that the convention doesn't have the authority that they want it to have. Um, and now, of course, they're getting the 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 money going out the back door of the executive committee at this point is unsustainable and be out of money. So where, where, where are they going to get the money? Well, it says said, said here in the meeting, um, one of the members of the executive committee had asked, um, that he looked at the audit report and the audit report of like, how are we going to stop this hemorrhaging of money in the SBC executive committee? Um, we can liquidate assets. We can ask for more money from the convention. 
that's going to be where it's going to go. And remember, this is an executive committee that has yet so far to lose a lawsuit. There hasn't been a, a, a judgment made against them so far that has yet to happen. This is just in hiring guideposts and, and trying to handle this um, supposed sex abuse um, scandal, this supposed sex abuse problem. They've, they've blown through half of their, their resources in one year. They will have no other option, but to come to the rest of the convention for more fun. Where, where's that money going to come from? It's going to come from missions. It's going to come from, um, and maybe people argue, Hey, these institutions are corrupt. Anyway, we don't want the money going there. That's a, that's a fair conversation to have, but that's where the money's going to come from. It's going to come from North American missions. It's going to come from international missions. It's going to come from Christian education. Um, other places that are really the purposes for the Southern Baptist convention to even exist. So, um, one member identified, um, and inquired, he said, is there a way that, uh, we who are not on the finance committee can have better information, more information about how we're doing financially, because we don't get this information. And Bianchi had said, um, the trustee board for the future, the trustee board will have to make difficult decisions to avoid going in a direction that cannot be sustained. At this point, the proposals we brought to you as a committee is hold your own. Right. So anyway, that, that, that's the state of the kind of the state of the sex abuse issue within the Southern Baptist convention. Now you are going to see and read and hear the same, uh, repetition from the platform types that this is the biggest issue and the most important thing that the convention is dealing with. And, and it, it should take precedence over everything else. And yet all they will have to demonstrate why that's the case is a, a report that is just an indictment of being Baptist. It's just an indictment of, of church autonomy. It's not um, some sort of evidence that sex abuse is all over the convention. That just isn't the case. And yet they're going to be perfectly happy. If you're in a Southern Baptist church, they're going to be perfectly happy to take your cooperative program giving and flush it down the lawsuit drain. That's what's going to happen. That's, that's the direction it's going right now. So, yeah, it's, um, let's move on to the next little SPC issue. I realize I'm going to go over time with this because there's, there's just more to talk about. Um, the, the big issue everybody's talking about right now, like I was going to talk about Bart Barber and why he's a terrible choice for really leadership in a church at all, but especially with, with regard to his, um, his, his abortion stance, how, just unsustainably illogical it is. It's, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if it's because he can't figure it out or he won't. I think it's the latter. I think he won't figure it out. He refuses. Um, So many uh, abolitionist pastors have offered to sit down with him and work this out and discuss this. And he's just refusing. He doesn't have a leg to stand on with the issue, but it's just, it's embarrassing to have somebody of such low, um, such low theological and, um, you know, I guess I say it this way, theological and, um, dispositional qualities at the head of the, of the Southern Baptist convention, but it is what it is. Um, but we don't have time for that tonight. Uh, but I did want to talk about Rick Warren because I know that's, you know, that that's kind of the big issue going on 
um, right now is uh, women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, yesterday, Rick Warren, I'm, I guess I'm assuming, well, I have to assume that Rick Warren runs his own Twitter account. I don't know for sure. But he tweets this out yesterday. He says, hypocrisy, the 2023 SBC uh, will kick out churches for having a woman preach. First of all, he doesn't even know that. He's just assuming. While honoring Charles Stanley, SBC president, who was saved through a woman preaching. Quote, as Mrs. Wilson preached, the spirit struck me to the core. When she gave the invitation, I was the first down. So Rick Warren, who has no shame, no shame whatsoever, um, takes the recent passing of Charles Stanley to leverage um, leverage for his making a case for women pastors and saying, now, and, and I don't know Charles Stanley's account here, you know, as Mils, Mrs. Wilson preached, I don't know where this was, what the context was. Maybe it was in a church. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Um, but the claim that Rick Warren is making here is somehow, well, because, um, a famous and longstanding, uh, Southern Baptist, uh, says that he responded to an altar call when a woman was preaching. Therefore it's okay for women to, um, hold authority and teach men in the local congregation, which is, that's the biblical prohibition. Keep in mind, nobody is, um, saying women can't preach the gospel. It's the context that matters. It's the place that matters. You know, I have um, faithful sisters on this live stream, watching this live stream right now, who proclaim the gospel, preach the gospel in a public fashion on the regular. They do it all the time. That's not unbiblical or something. That's not prohibited by 1 Timothy 2.12, which says, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority or, um, or teach to men, rather she is to be silent. This is about orderly worship. It's about, this is the context of the gathered assembly. We are all supposed to be fulfilling the great commission, preaching the gospel, teaching the nations to obey all that, that, um, that we've been taught all that's in God's word. We preach the full counsel of the word. Everybody can do that. But Paul made it very clear that this goes back to creation. This is a created order thing. And when women uh, exercise authority, teach men in the gathered assembly. They're in, in essence inverting God's created order. They're inverting the order of their family. They're inverting the design that God has for men and women to serve together. Because there is a sense in the local body that um, teaching and preaching is an authoritative position. It is a position where the rest of us step back and say, this is the word of God being exposited, being preached with faithfulness, um, we submit to that. Um, this is why elders are to be men. And yet Rick Warren with this just clown level insulting your intelligence kind of, kind of statement as well. A woman preached over there. Therefore you can't say that we can't have women pastors in our church. Now to rewind the clock a little bit, the saddleback gambit or the saddleback little, you know, bait and switch here was, was to say that, well, because, um, the Holy Spirit gives the church pastors, and that's a, sort of a separate section of Scripture than the requirements for elder, we're going to separate the office of pastor from the gift of pastor, 
we're going to ordain these women as pastors, but be able to say somehow that that doesn't mean that they're elders in the church in the same way that uh, Rick Warren was, is, is an elder of the church and holds authority there. Um, that's what they did. Now, and, and they were more than happy for people to be wildly confused about exactly what this means. Because you and me and every other, um, you know, evangelical for the last, you know, for however many hundreds of years, we know when we hear pastor, what that means. We know this is analogous with elder, bishop, overseer, presbyter. This is the, this is a biblical office that this refers to. It's not about a role specifically. Now I would argue in the church, the role defines the office. So if you're saying I'm an elder, I'm a pastor, um, the congregation, the, the rest of the body recognizes you as such. It's because you are exercising a role within that body, a teaching role, an authoritative role, a shepherding role. That's, and so we say you're a pastor. That's what that term means. And Rick Warren knows this full well, and yet he's muddying the waters. Um, and at first I couldn't quite tell why, why this was the case. Because honestly, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren does not need the Southern Baptist Convention. He's already, he already basically has his own purpose-driven denomination, his own little network. I mean, um, you know, he, you, talk, you say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and shake Rick Warren's hand or something like that. He will tell you how many people he's brought to Christ. He will tell you how big his network is. He will tell you uh, with metrics uh, how, I mean, he can't post anything. He can't say anything without metrics being involved because a, he's a grade a narcissist and B that's fundamental to purpose driven, secret sensitive methodology. Uh, numeric growth is the name of the game. If you are not growing numerically, um, you are failing in ministry. And if you're growing numerically, you are succeeding no matter how that growth is created. That's how you define successful ministry. And Rick Warren does this all the time. I guarantee you, guarantee you that man will not get behind a microphone at the meeting next week and not rattle off a bunch of um, statistics. He will, he will get up there and remind everybody how much better he is than them because that's what narcissists do. He is a grade A narcissist, which is the only real logical explanation for why he continues on this crusade. Why does Rick Warren care if Saddleback Church is cooperating with the SBC? Only because he doesn't like being told no. He doesn't like rejection. He doesn't like the rest of us um, looking at him and saying, you're not being a faithful minister. We don't respect you. We don't respect your, your methodology. We don't respect your lack of doctrine. Your downplaying of doctrine is um, offensive to us as followers of Jesus Christ. He doesn't like that. So he needs to put us in our place. That's why he wants to have this fight. It's not because he cares about the Southern Baptist Convention. Most people didn't know that Saddleback and Rick Warren were members of the Southern Baptist Convention. Most people didn't even know. They downplayed it um, to the point of, of near irrelevance. It was only when the rest of us said, um, when the rest of us said, we don't want, we, we reject you out of hand. We don't want to cooperate with you, Saddleback Church and Rick Warren, and your women pastors, and your supportive LGBTQ agenda, which is very clearly chronicled now. We don't want any part of that. Um, we, we don't like you. We don't think you are a good Christian pastor. We, we're pretty sure you're not a Christian. That he said, oh, fine, you want to fight? We're, we'll have that fight now. 
and he's trying to throw his weight around. That's all this is about. Um, he, he puts in the tranny supporting Baptist news global an open letter to all Southern Baptists. Some of you may have seen this a few days ago. Um, and seeing in the, in the chat there, um, who waived attorney client privilege, um, the, the executive committee back last year, um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there, there was a resolution passed, uh, recommending that the SBC executive committee waive attorney client privilege so we can get to the truth. Um, and I mean, there were members of the EC that, uh, for very, very good reasons, uh, dropped off the executive committee. They left because they said, this is not tenable. This is, this is, this is a mistake to waive attorney client privilege. We have to be able to speak with our lawyers confidentially. That's all that really is. So yeah, Joshua, you're right about that. Um, yeah, Saddleback, I mean, they partnered directly with, you know, uh, embracing the journey and these other kind of groups. Um, again, I mean, just head over, search Saddleback on protestia.com. You will find this information. So this says, um, so this, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't Rick Warren sending this directly to Baptist news global. I want to make that clear. They had to put that up here, you know, in case guys like me came along and said, well, look, he's partnering with transgender supporting Baptist news global. He just sent this to various media outlets. So it's on their website. Um, so he says, and, and this is just crazy to me. He says, I'm deeply concerned about our denomination, 17 years of decline. It's like, did anybody know Rick Warren was a Southern Baptist up until last year? I would wager no way. Uh, so he's really concerned about the loss of half a million members. Um, no denomination can sustain that kind of loss. Well, yeah, they can. And I would argue that loss is probably on paper because of bad reporting. The SBC is notoriously bad. And the churches that are, that are member churches are notoriously bad for not cleaning up their membership roles. So... I don't, I've never believed the 14 million number. So, um, if the number declines, it could be a result of people just saying, um, yeah, we, we, we've actually figured out that we're smaller than we thought we were, or the Southern Baptist convention saying, actually we have like eight, you know, you know, a hundred churches over here that are not cooperating members of the convention anymore that we've, we've been reporting their membership and they're actually not members. It could be that as well. So this says many have asked me to explain why Saddleback is appealing the executive committee ruling at our annual meeting. I don't know if we're asking, but we knew you were going to tell us anyway. Um, Says mosaic of many kinds of Baptist tribes. Okay, fine. Um, From the start. And this is where he just exposes his Rick Warrenness from the start. Our unity has always been based on a common mission, not a common confession. Like, wait, um, it's not, it's not very difficult to figure out that Christian mission, Christian mission, righteous works in the name of Jesus Christ. If they're really righteous works, how, how, how do we define them as being righteous? Well, by what we believe by our confession. So when he says that we can have a common mission, not a common confession, that's that's nonsensical to Christian churches. That's nonsensical to Christian believers. Because what we do, our mission is informed by our confession. In fact, it's 
100% informed by our confession. There is no mission without confession. You can't have a common mission without a common confession. Then what are you partnering with? You have no idea. According to this logic, and really he says it, um, he said it today, I think, in, in another tweet. Let's see if I can pull this up here. <laughs> yeah. I listened to pastors, 16,000 responded to my letter, which a number one. Now I think that's nonsense, but B there, he is again, quoting stats like just in case anybody in the last two seconds forgot what a big deal I am. 16,000 responded to my email. They're tired of angry fighters and scared by the climate of fear and exclusion created by power brokers. (laughs) Like, so Rick Warren's not a power broker. That's where we're supposed to buy that. Why can't we return to the original Baptist vision, as if he has any idea what that actually is, of unity through a mission, not a confession that would heal the SBC? (sighs) No, there is no common mission without common confession. And the SBC doesn't call it a confession. They call it a statement of faith. Well, a statement of faith and a confession is synonymous. Synonymous. <laughs> See Betty in the chat saying, 50% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> exactly. It's like, who knows, right? What I, what I do know as, as a Baptist is I have no mission without a confession. I have no Christian behavior or actions or uh, gospel ministry without a confession that is based around the truth of God's word. It comes directly from God's word. But Warren goes on with this, this silliness. Um, he says, for the first 80 years of the SBC, we did not have a confession because the founders were adamantly opposed to having one. Uh, that's because they didn't need one, because they all believed relatively the same thing. He said, they, know we, they knew we could not get, uh, never get 100% of Baptists to agree 100% on 100% of every interpretation of Scripture. Okay. Point being what? That we should have no standards? Is that what that means? Oh, because we can't agree about everything, we just don't need to agree about anything. Except except the 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 quote unquote mission. He says, that's why every version of Baptist faith and message has called itself a consensus of opinion, and it repeatedly warns us it is not a creed to be used to enforce doctrinal uniformity or exclude members of our denominational family. Um the Southern Baptist Convention itself, and I might I actually might have this pulled up here. In the, the guidepost report, even guidepost, you know, make sure and put, and put this in their report that, um, let's see, here we go. The SBC does have the right to determine whether local churches are considered in friendly cooperation. Um, and they say, uh, up here. Okay. This is actually a pretty good description. Uh, well, well, we know that that uh, even on messengers all know because they they um, understand this and member member churches understand this that a church is is in cooperation with the SBC, obviously when it says it is, but also has to have a faith and practice that closely identifies with the Southern Baptist Convention faith and message, the statement of faith. So, Rick Warren is basically claiming here in his letter. Um, that uh, you can't enforce doctrinal uniformity, but there is a standard for that. The Southern Baptist Convention does 
have a credentials committee that enforces doctrinal uniformity, they use the example, for instance, there's two notable examples, um, that the church, any church who is uh, promoting or affirming homosexuality would be considered to be not in friendly cooperation because of their lack of um, agreement with the Baptist faith and message. They should be enforcing that. They even say, and this is in the back in the report here, um, right here, um, that a church uh, would be not in uh, cooperation if they acted in a manner inconsistent with the convention's beliefs regarding sexual abuse. Oh, funny. Would Rick Warren find that appropriate? Would he think, hey, it's 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 okay to disfellowship a church from the SBC if they are if they have a sex abuse um, perpetrator as a pastor? Of course, he would say, yeah, kick him out. I don't want to be associated with that. And yet, uh, he acts here because it's his pet issue at this point that we can't hold um, churches to the same standard with regard to the Baptist faith and message, but most importantly with Scripture. He says, none of the messengers from our churches who voted against changes made in the revised uh, BFNM 2000 have been kicked out, even though they disagree with some of his statements. Okay. This, he's, this is a straw man. This is a straw man argument. He's saying, our appeal to reverse the executive committee ruling is not asking any Baptist to change their theology. No, he's, he's just asking you for it not to be important. Don't, don't, don't change it, but don't demand that we actually conform to what the Bible teaches on these things in order to be in cooperation. And, 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 then, and then the crazy part in this letter, he says, um, hand me a Bible... And let me see if he actually, yeah, I mean, I guess he's saying this. He says, hand me a Bible and I'll sign that as my authority. The Bible is Baptist's sole authority. Really? Really? Because you're violating it directly and very clearly by any plain reading of the text, any plain understanding in the pastoral epistles. Saddleback Church is in, in, direct violation of the Bible. I mean, notice, notice this, this, this clown level application and discernment that he's exercising here. He's saying, um, Hey, you're all using the Baptist faith and message as some sort of a creedal statement to kick out churches that aren't a hundred percent in agreement with the Baptist faith and message. So I say, we let's throw that away and let's, let's sign. I'm, I'm going to sign the, onto the Bible is my authority. Dude, that's what we've been asking you to do. And you won't do it. You won't do it. You, you, you just, you twist the language and you twist the meaning and you twist the very straightforward teaching. This is stuff. Even Tim Keller got this right. And Rick Warren refuses to. And then most offensively in this letter, most offensively, first of all, he, he again appeals to numeric growth as if that's supposed to be our standard. He says, for Southern Baptists, the independence and freedom of our churches has been a great strength. Our rejection of a centralized hierarchy has been a strength. Our rejection of, of an enforceable creed has been a strength. It was only in the last 17 years. What is he dragging back to? Well, the conservative resurgence, I suppose. Um, and said that apparently our pickiness about being f- faithful to Scripture has caused our denomination to rapidly decline. And what what is he saying? Well, hey, you haven't, all of you Southern Baptist churches haven't adopted 
the wide appeal, purpose-driven, market-driven, stick your finger in the wind and see what the world wants methodology that we've um, used over here to create our numeric growth. So you're declining. He said, the SBC grew for 80 years without any statement of faith because our unity never was based on a confession. You realize how offensive this is? I mean, really, to Bible-believing Christians that you would say, um, unity should be based around anything other than common faith and beliefs? What's your unity based off of, if not what you believe? It's, it's, it's based off of exactly, it's based off of numeric growth. It's based off of the size of your church attendance, the, the number of pastors that supposedly emailed you back after you emailed them with concerns, based off of the how, how, much, how many more pastors Saddleback has supposedly trained than SBC um, uh, seminaries. I mean, don't think we forgot about that. Standing in front of the entire meeting last year and in insulting the existence of the Southern Baptist Convention, saying one of the primary reasons that this convention exists for Christian education, for supporting formal education, for vocational ministry. Um, yeah, I, I just sort of did that off the cuff by myself. What's wrong with you guys? I mean, you, he's saying we train more pastors, Saddleback train more pastors. Um, we did more ministry work than all of the SPC seminaries said that to our faces and yet somehow claims to care about the Southern Baptist convention. Give me a break. Nobody, nobody with a brain believes that Rick, we don't buy that for a second that you stood in front of all of us and said, this convention, one of the primary purposes of this ministerial cooperation between churches is, is worthless, unimportant. We did way better in just a few years with our purpose-driven programs than, than y'all have done as the Southern Baptist Convention. And yet I care. I care about the convention. I care about what we're doing here. Of course he doesn't. So why is he having this fight? Why, why is he coming to New Orleans to lecture us all again on unity based around something other than what we believe? Why is he doing this? Because he is a narcissist who cannot be told no. The rest of the convention, the rest of the faithful believers in the convention looked at him and said, you are violating not only the Baptist faith and message, which is important to a degree, but you're violating scripture itself. We don't want to cooperate with you. You're very clearly in violation of what would make a cooperating church. And by the way, he, it's not like Saddleback's the only one. Hundreds of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are not... Um, practicing uh, their ministry in close identification with the Baptist faith and message. And they do it a whole bunch of different ways as far as having women in the office of pastor. They, they might call it minister. They might call it something else. They might say she's co-pastoring with her husband. They might say like, like Warren does, well, she's a pastor, but it's not the same thing as elder. A whole bunch of different ways that, that Southern Baptist churches have violated this. So it's not like Saddleback, is the only one doing this, but they're the biggest duck in the puddle. And they're the ones pushing the most deconstruction of how we understand gender roles in the church in order to, um, you know, get egalitarianism to be, to, to win the day in the Southern Baptist convention. And that's really, again, Rick Warren stood in front of all of us and said, we don't need you. I trained way more pat. I trained more pastors since I got, uh, got here to, to Anaheim than, than all the seminaries combined. I mean, ridiculous stuff like that. So why would he care about whether, whether he, or not 
he and Saddleback are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Pride. It's pride. It's, it's, he doesn't like being told that, that we disapprove, that we don't want to cooperate with him. We don't find what he believes and practices to be uh, faithful to Scripture or faithful to Baptist um, theology. You know, the Baptist statement of faith, the, the, the Baptist faith and message is clearly in violation. We don't appreciate it, and he can't be told no. And so instead, he's going to try to bully us all into submission. That's the biggest prediction for the meeting coming up next week is the bullying that Saddleback Church and Rick Warren will do to try to argue. They're not going to try to argue that, hey, we've moved our doctrine and our practice back into alignment with the Southern Baptist Convention, back into alignment with what Scripture very clearly teaches on these issues. We're going to try to push you all to just abandon your standards for cooperation. You know, we're, we're going to try to get you all on board with, well, we got to have a common mission, not a common confession. There is no common mission without common confession. Never has been. That is a foreign idea to Christians and such an obvious indictment of purpose-driven, market-driven, seeker-sensitive, stick your finger in the, in the wind and please the world methodology. It, to say it matters less what you believe than it matters what you're doing is the opposite of Christian ministry. It's inverting it. It's doing it backwards. And so he goes on in this letter to say, well, we've, we've started to correct sex abuse in our churches and back in 95, uh, we started to uh, correct our racial injustice. Um, this is what he's comparing this to. He's saying that we need to correct our insistence on male pastors, men being pastors, as Scripture very clearly teaches. We need to repent of that as a convention, just like we repented of um, all of our sex abuse, and just like we repented of our uh, apparently our, our inability to exercise proper racial reconciliation. That's, that's what Rick Warren thinks this is. And he thinks you're going to buy it. And it remains to be seen. I, I will tell you this. If this disfellowship of um, Saddleback does not hold, and, and I would argue be followed by the disfellowship of a lot of other um, churches who are operating in sin, operating in clear contrast to the word of God in this area, if that doesn't hold, it's the end for the Southern Baptist Convention. Because every other Protestant denomination that has um, codified and accepted and made regular and normative women pastors, every other one has not stopped the downgrade into full-blown LGBTQ drag queen pastor apostasy. Because what does... Um, what does what do women pastors really represent? They represent a a disrespect, a fundamental disrespect for a plain reading and meaning um, within the Word of God. They indicate that you don't respect what the Bible says, because the reason for it, they, I mean, the text couldn't be clearer. But even the reason for it is very—it's not hard to figure out. It's easy to figure out. Now. The, the, the world and its 
feminist crusading may not like it, but guess what? The Bible said that that would happen too. They said that you know the Word of God says we're not going to be liked by the world for what we believe. It's going to be countercultural. The culture is saying right now, um, do away with all gender distinctives, one hundred percent. Men, women, they're all the same. It's 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 just a difference in biology. And even if you don't like that, we well we got a surgeon that can do something about that. That's that's what the world says, and the church is supposed to stand up to that and say no. We're not going along with that. We know what the Bible teaches. We can recognize God's creation, his created order, and the, the wonderful differences between men and women that they're designed to minister together in a complementary fashion. This office is not intended <clears throat> for women. But instead, Rick, Rick Warren is saying, what's the big deal, you guys? Doctrinal unity? We don't need that. We just need missional unity. But of course, there's no mission without doctrine. By Rick Warren's standard here, we could have a mosque or a synagogue, maybe a Roman Catholic uh, church as a cooperating member of the Southern Baptist Convention, right? I mean, who are we to say that their, that their doctrinal differences are worth separating over? You know, I mean, after all, they're, 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 you know, your Catholic church is promoting Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're having services about Jesus. Why can't they be in the Southern Baptist convention? Oh, oh, because they're, because they're, they teach a different gospel because they have strident doctrinal differences, perhaps. But to Rick Warren, well, that's not, that's not a, um, not a distinction that should be made. So they're challenging the ruling and he claims it's for future, the future and nature of the SBC, which hangs in the balance. It certainly does. It certainly does. We're about to find out. We're about to find out if Southern Baptists, messengers, church members of cooperating churches in the Southern Baptist Convention really believe what the Bible says. It's really important to them or a false unity based around erasing doctrinal distinctives is where they want to go. We're about to find out. So, I mean, Rick Warren is right in that sense that the future and nature of the SBC hangs in the balance. He thinks that the future of the SBC is um, no doctrinal distinctives, no doctrinal standards whatsoever. Believe whatever you want. Practice whatever you want. Do whatever you want. That that's somehow honoring to God. That's what he thinks. That's what he's pushing here. And myself... And others obviously think the opposite. We know what the Bible teaches about this. It's very clear. Even if you don't want to understand or accept the ontological reasons behind this, the created order reasons behind this distinctive, behind this prohibition, the text of Scripture very clearly says it. So even if you don't want to understand it, which I think is, is you know, it's, it's, it's ignorance that's not called for. There's no need to be ignorant about this. But even if you want to be, hold up the verse and tell me how in the world you come up with this interpretation when Scripture very clearly prohibits what you're doing. That's, that is, and I think somebody said it earlier in the chat, by the way. Um, see, I scroll up here. Yeah, Joshua said earlier, women pastors is the defining issue of this SPC annual meeting. I think it's true. Very true. 
So uh, Betty's saying Warren needs to repent of a so-called uh, woman pastor baptizing a gay person. Yeah. Oh, our our local Rick Warren wannabe here in the Denver area did the same thing. We've talked about it before, like bragging about it, like it was some some something he should hang his hat on. He jumped in the baptistry to make sure that uh, he would be the one baptizing uh, lesbians into membership in his congregation. Um. Um. Yeah, uh, Josh. Josh was saying, and 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 by the way, and we're gonna jump over to actually. We're we're out of time, you guys. I apologize. We're not going to be doing the uh, the VIP um, because I'm out of time for it. We, frankly, we've answered a lot of the questions anyway. Joshua left a whole bunch of great questions, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump over to him and make sure that see if we address them. Um, yeah. So the appeal, Joshua was saying, the appeal is taking place. This is the uh, Saddleback appeal taking place during the miscellaneous business session at 3:45 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. Saddleback isn't the only church disfellowshipped. Shouldn't the credentials committee give a report as to the other churches being disfellowshipped? Um, not everyone will read the book of reports. Yes, true. Um, I don't know if that's because if, if the other churches, and maybe you can, since you're, since you're on the stream, maybe you could tell me, I don't think that the other churches are all um, uh, appealing the decisions. In fact, they disfellowshipped a bunch of churches that were like, we didn't even realize we're still in the SBC. No, of course we're not part of the SBC. We don't believe any of that stuff anymore. Um, I think Saddleback may be the only ones um, appealing this decision. So I, we'll find out. the The important thing will be, and and I think the uh, the three forty five uh, business session will be uh, strongly attended for this reason. Um, Joshua was saying Fern Creek might have decided to appeal. Um, yeah, yeah, and maybe. Um, and I mean, that would be, I guess if they would, if they were appealing, if Fern Creek was appealing, it would be in the business session as well, the same business session, but we're going to find out. I'm going to try to be on the floor the whole time. Um, because a, that's why, you know, Protestia supporters are funding the trip out there and make sure that they get the ground level, um, you know, um, unvarnished news (laughs) from the convention. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. Um, Joshua also asked, yeah, I, I saw I saw it was like on Twitter or something, Joshua. You said you were going to be there as well, so we'll try to we'll, we'll try to touch base and say hi. Um, look for the look for the a guy about five ten wearing this white hat, and it'll probably be me, probably. <laughs> yeah, who gave you said you said who gave Rick Warren my email? Like I don't know how did he get this? I mean, a bunch of pastors got spammed by Rick Warren, and it said like, well, you signed up on pastors dot com or one of our websites. Like, don't, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. So, uh, uh, Greg's asking where, where do we give? Actually it's, it's all the money's been, been raised for it. So, um, I mean, you can certainly still contribute at the, 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 uh, the, the, the GoFundMe, but don't, um, you don't need to feel, uh, 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 you know, like any responsibility to do that whatsoever. It's, it's where, I mean, we're good. God has been good. Um, you know, the best way, honestly, that we can, that we can, uh, help the guys working for protesting is just spread the word and, and, and for others that have been blessed by this, encourage them to join, uh, the patronage, even at the five ninety five a month level helps a lot. It really helps a lot. Um, Violet's asking, where's the link? Uh, it is, uh, uh, I believe on protestia.com, like get, get protestia, the SBC it's, you know, call it something like that. 
Um, so yeah, but I mean, we're good. We, we, like we have, we have, uh, all the, all the funding we need to do this is, I mean, you guys know, like, I don't, I don't take money, um, from Protesti as some sort of income for myself. Um, which I don't say that to like brag or say, Hey, you should listen to my opinion more. Cause I don't, I don't make a dime from this just, just to, you know, to, to, to tell you that, um, to say, um, that I'm, I, I want to represent us, you know, I want to represent, you know, pew sitters and those that aren't institutionally connected. Not that, not that being institutionally connected means you're doing something wrong for sure, but our voice is needed. And so me, me saying this is not my job or something like that, hopefully gives me some, um, additional leeway to say what needs to be said. I'm not, I'm not worried about losing my job, um, at the send network if I say something. So that's, that's, that's a good place to be for, I think for me and for you and for all of us, <laughs> um, see on here. So last few questions. Um, yeah, Nam is a giant disaster zone <laughs> point came out after they, after they saw the false ERLC brief before it was presented in court. Yep. Affidavit saying that Kevin Azell misused Nam funds. Book of reports says Nam went 50. Is that true? $55 million over budget. What's the chance we actually get anything done to hold Nam accountable? <sighs> Slim to none, probably. I mean, for those who are not in SBC land, NAM runs the SBC. NAM is, um, if you want to be an SBC institutionalist and you run afoul of NAM, North American Mission Board, it ain't going to happen. Now, IMB is still the highest budget line as far as I know, um, but the North American Mission Board is the highest line on the budget that is here, you know, in the States and, and, and doing things here. And they're the ones that pay their people to um get to the meeting and make sure that they vote the way they want them to vote this is this is a problem <clears throat> yeah I, I mean i would say the chances are not good that anything gets done about nam but you know we'll see i mean all this really is in god's hands and he does not need the sbc no <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> what are the i see i'm seeing in the uh, chat here what what are the LV odds that the SBC put a target on Dave's back in order to prevent him from attending? Are you talking about me? Like, did they put a target on my back to prevent me from attending? Um, no, I, I don't know <laughs> if that, if you're talking about me, I, I mean, I haven't seen anything that's, that's, that's going to be a problem. I'm a, I'm a member of a, of an SBC church that contributes and um, our church is sending nine people actually this time around. So, my my job between now and then, one of my jobs is hopefully to inform our people well enough that they understand what's going on and can can vote in an informed way. Um, Joshua said, I've seen a lot of confusion from certain conservatives, including Justin Peters, saying they can't vote to reject the appeal of Saddleback because they believe it would not be applying equal weights and measures. I, I think Justin Peters was making an overall uh, – he wanted, he wanted to make sure that people were aware that it's not just Saddleback that's, that's doing this. There are all sorts of churches doing this. And so it, I think he was arguing, hey, it was inconsistent for the um, credentials committee to, and then later, of course, the executive committee to vote to disfellowship Saddleback Church when there are a whole bunch of other churches doing the same thing. And he's right, but Saddleback's just the big duck in the puddle. That's why they got the attention. Um, and so, like, yeah, so I don't, I don't think that it's wrong to disfellowship them. I think that makes perfect sense theologically, doctrinally. And, and yet I, I appreciate what Justin Peters said about that, that, Hey, just so you know, there's a whole bunch of churches doing this, you know, that's, that's very true. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Yeah. Josh, Joshua was saying, uh, IMB allowing women to perform the function of 
a passer on the mission field. Yeah, totally true. It, it is this prohibition is not just a technicality against women um, teaching or exercising authority um, over men in church. It's not, it's not a technicality. It is with the idea that that, that role fulfilled by men keeps the created order in place. It keeps the family in place. It keeps, you know, you can't, you can't have women, a, a woman in the office and exercising the role of pastor in the church without functionally inverting her marriage. And even if you said, well, she's co-pastoring with her husband, so that doesn't invert it yet, but it's, there's a submissive order within the marriage. And making those two things equal is not what the Bible teaches. And Paul said, this goes all the way back to creation. This is, this is an ontological difference of, of um, goes all the way back to Genesis 3. Um, even prior to the fall, Eve was created as Adam's helper. And that's not to say she's somehow less valuable, but the role is different and the dispositions are different. The design is different. This is not controversial for any Orthodox Christian believer. It's only controversial in light of cultural pressure, in light of the cultural saying, culture saying, we don't like you Christians saying this kind of stuff. We don't like you doing this. We don't like that um, you are not feminist like we are. We think that's old fashioned. And church pragmatists like Rick Warren saying, gee, I don't know how we're going to keep this many people in the church uh, if, if we're seen as these old fundamentalist fuddy-duddies that actually practice what the Bible teaches. That's what this is about. Pragmatism is the long-standing long, um, disease of evangelicalism. Rick Warren is just, I mean, he's, he's the purpose-driven pope. He's been the progenitor in so many ways of this infection in evangelical uh, churches. And by the way, that's probably part of the reason he wants to have this fight because saying that we're disfellowshipping your church for what was a pragmatic decision that they made. And he made his pragmatism clear when he said, it's not about it's, it's common mission, not common confession. We'll throw away what we believe as long as we can keep doing the work of ministry, which is back again, it's backwards, right? It's backwards to do it that way. Um, see, uh, Azteca one uh, with the super chat. Thank you very much. I don't get like many super chats. That's that's pretty cool. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. I I, I appreciate uh, that you found this. You're finding this informative. Uh, makes me want to keep streaming here. You know, I, I'm not I'm not like a six hour YouTuber, but you know, it's uh, I I I appreciate this being uh, informative and valuable. Um, but you know, Rick Warren says it's. He said, and, and by the way, this has always been a trope, a common phrase in um, seeker sensitivity. It's deeds, not creeds. You heard that before? Someone like Rick Warren will say, it's deeds, not creeds. To which I respond, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is, it's creeds, not deeds. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by your belief in Jesus Christ, by what you believe, by what you confess by where you place your faith. And so when someone comes along and says, it's not important that you're being doctrinally faithful to the word of God, as much as it is um, that we can cooperate and keep doing work. That's the opposite of Christianity. In fact, I would argue, what's the point of the work you're doing? If not to know God more, if not to take steps closer to knowing him and serving him and being obedient. Theology is not, a tool in the tool belt 
to be used in, in the broader scope of doing ministry. Theology, the knowledge of God, knowing God is where we're, it's the destination. It's where we're going. It's the purpose of our sanctification. Our salvation is secure. And now as we work that salvation out, we move one step closer to knowing God. Knowing God is about, knowing God is about um, being further conformed to the character of Christ. Sorry, I was distracted there. Greg said, how do you do super chat? I think, I think um, um, Aztec is watching on the Protestia channel. So for, for those of you, if you're coming in later, you kind of miss what we talked about at the beginning. We now have, and this is a blessing. This is an answer to prayer because it's really difficult with YouTube. We now have a full um, ownership of the Protestia YouTube channel. For a while, I was just a manager. And for the, any of you that do YouTube, you know there's a lot of limitations if you're just a manager of the channel. Um, you can't live stream directly, um, multi-stream with the Protestia channel being a YouTube channel you don't own. So now that we have that, right now this program is streaming on Protestia Tonight's YouTube channel and the Protestia YouTube channel and Facebook and Twitter and um, and uh, and Rumble all at the same time right now. So it should be like five different streams. The chats that you see right here where my hand is are a combination of people talking on both YouTube channels. So if you're wondering why stuff is showing up over there, you're not seeing on the channel. That's why there's two channels going on right now. We're probably not going to keep doing it that way. We're probably going to live stream. Here's my thought is we live stream from uh protestia's YouTube channel. And we either put the protestia tonight channel. We just leave it there for, you know, programs that went out before, uh, but don't do anything else on there. Um, I'm not sure. Let's put it that way. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Because part of the reason that we started the Protestia Tonight channel was because when when the the, the shakeup with Protestia happened last year, uh, we didn't own we didn't know if we were going to ever get control of the Protestia YouTube channel. So that's that's why we sort of moved that. Um, let's see. Uh, so and then Joshua was saying, yeah, <laughs> he said uh, he that he's seen uh, rundown issues leading up to the SBC annual meeting. And then um, the, people fact-checked the Willie Rice memo. Joshua, are you talking about, since you're on the stream now, are you talking about um, Willie Rice's, uh, was there, there was some sort of memo that was not his announcement of, of endorsing Mike Stone, something like that? Um, let's see. Only arguments the memo contains. So, so was this, a, this must have been a Willie Rice memo from before he changed his mind about some things. Tell me if I'm right about that. I'm just assuming from what I'm reading here. Um, yeah, the, the memo that went around. I have actually seen it. I have not seen uh, this memo. But is is it is it from um, so a, a secret memo? But this was really Rice being critical of the uh, of CBN, the Conservative Baptist Network. Let's see. Yeah, it must be. So so it's saying that uh, Willie Rice was must have been critical of Mike Stone at that point saying that Mike Stone was associated with CBN and the horrible things they've done, like using an analogy of a pirate ship. And that uh, Mike Stone escrowed his church's giving to the CP, the cooperative program. Um, and uh, the chairman of the EC, David Sons, threatened to do the same thing if the EC would not waive their attorney-client privilege. Oh, okay, so so a memo written by liberals to disparage Willie Rice. Okay, understood, understood. So it's not, so it's not a memo from Willie Rice, but it's, 
Yeah, he's saying, hey, Willie said this, and he said this, and he said this, and now he's flipped, and he's supporting Mike Stone. I get it. Understood. Um, now, Willie Rice said, and we reported, you know, of course, we have an article about this at, at um, up at Protesty right now. Um, he said that, uh, and actually, I said we had an article. We actually curated an article from Dissenter, uh, which I'm going to, I want to go to right now. Is Willie Rice said, he said some real good things in this. And I don't know, I really don't know enough about Willie Rice to know uh, how solidly conservative he is. Um, I, I was honestly impressed that he said, hey, the, this issue last year with Jeff Ford is a distraction. And my first job is to pastor my local church. I respect that decision. You know, I'm, I'm not an, in, like, I don't know from an insider perspective if, if, if uh, that was all there was to it. But that seemed to be the right decision at that time. Um, but he said in his endorsement of um, uh, Mike Stone, he said, let's see. This is the statement from Calvary Church at Willie Rice's church. And he said, um, in just a few days at our Southern Baptist Convention meeting in New Orleans, I will nominate Mike Stone to the office of SBC president. Such an announcement would not would have been unthinkable for both of us a short time ago. Like, why would that be the case? I guess they've, they found themselves on opposite sides of the political spectrum here. Um, he said, two years ago when Mike ran, I enthusiastically supported my friend Ed Litton. I rejoiced when Ed won. Now, for those of you that remember, Ed Litton won in 2021. And immediately, I mean, the timing was just, I think, unfortunately late, but immediately exposed to be a sermon plagiarist. And either plagiarizing the sermons from J.D. Greer and I think one, a few from Tim Keller and things, or just a fellow customer of Docent Research Group buying, buying the same sermons that J.D. Greer was buying. I'm not sure. Yeah, Jamie's saying keep a close watch on Griffin Gulledge. Yeah, totally. And, and the, the, these uh, um, Baptist 21 guys that he's, he's part of. Um, he's, uh, Willie Rice wrote, I didn't know Mike, but disagree with him on several issues. And apparently his, his big issue was the existence of the conservative Baptist network. I found some of their voices to be overly divisive and unnecessarily caustic. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's that, that's always a, the silliest reason not to listen to somebody or partner with them. As far as I'm concerned that the, the tone question, but I digress. He said strongly support both mission boards, um, this and that, um, uh, the overwhelming consensus of Baptist leaders are rock solid in their b- biblical conventions. Conservative, when one means biblical fidelity and moral conviction, is not an adjective to describe a subset of our people. I agree it should not be. Um, and Mike, Mike Stone said, mm, I, I would disagree with this when properly defined. Mike Stone said before 2021, there were no liberals being nominated. Yeah, I think if you look at Ed Litton's uh, racial reconciliation platform, that really he started after the um, the George Floyd um, nonsense of 2020. Yeah, I would I would say he was definitely a liberal at least in those areas. He certainly liberally uh, borrowed from other people's sermons, didn't he? I know that's not what he means, but <laughs> um, so uh, Willie Rice is not part of the CBN. Um, Mike says he will not represent the CBN, but he will represent the SBC. I would hope that that would be the case. That's fine. Um, he says, why the change? Why now? I have reluctantly but clearly come to believe. So this is interesting. Willie Rice is saying, 
I've come to believe that our convention is facing an existential crisis that could irreparably damage our cooperative network. Okay. So what is this crisis? Um, he said, I am not sure if on, on the present course, the CP survives much longer. I would agree. I think it's main, it's mainly going to be on the backs of, um, the sex abuse task force debacle. Um, the, the just train wreck that all that's been over the last couple of years. Uh, let's see. Mike's been a supporter. Yada, yada, yada. Um, the sexual abuse reform movement began with the best of intentions, at least for most of us. Okay. If this is true, if this is true, then I, I would argue you weren't doing your due diligence as far as actually asking for evidence that this was going on before you not only committed the financial resources, but opened up the organization on a legal level to these problems. So uh, Joshua's getting off. Thank you very much, uh, Joshua, for your questions. I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to touch base um, next week. <laughs> um, anyway, um, he says, I now believe the movement as currently engineered threatens the very fabric of our fellowship. He said, uh, I was an enthusiastic proponent of this reform movement. I was not, just for the record, because um, the, the reformation that they were talking about was against established polity, but we know that already. Um, thanks, Joshua. Appreciate it. Uh, we have, uh, long, it says, that long last Southern Baptists were having an open conversation to deal with issues of sexual abuse, possess the will and momentum to act. This is the problem. This is part of the problem. Act how? Act, act as some sort of an authoritative body over the churches? They never had the power to do that to begin with. The only thing they could do was do irreparable damage, irreparable damage to the organization itself, which is poss quite possibly what they've done. All the SBC as an organization could ever do with a church that they thought was not handling a sex abuse case properly, all they could ever do was say, we're not going to take your money anymore. You think they were going to do that? Does that even make sense? We're not going to take your money anymore. Keep, keep your dirty sex abuse money at your local church. We don't want it. That's all they could ever do. Um, so he says, where we're going isn't what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for, this is important, left-wing feminist critical theory, cancel culture, and politics. I, I agree with that. I didn't sign up for leaked emails. Yep. Taped conversations. Yep. Endless lawsuits and character assassination. A movement that should have united Southern Baptists to attack a problem has instead divided us into attacking one another. That's how the whole thing started, by the way. It's not somehow that it started on good intentions and good motives. Didn't start that way. It started, and, and I don't know, I mean, it might have started one way or another, but the, the pivotal moment was when we were all watching Grant Gaines uh, recommend this and having Hannah Kate Williams crying next to him. That's when it started, right? And now instead you have um, Hannah Kate Williams, who, you know, I mean, people are saying like, Hey, it's hands off because she's an abuse survivor. I haven't even seen any evidence of that. So I, I don't, I don't believe, um, that we have to accept that, but this was three weeks ago. Um, she, she's suing the SBC and she's got a loudmouth lawyer on Twitter. Um, who, I mean, just a joke as far as proper legal representation, but that is what it is. Um, she filed suit against the SBC last year. And here's, here's, by the way, this is 2021. Um, now that she's been able to sue the SBC or she thinks she's going to get money out of the SBC, she says, 
for what it's worth, it was stupid to waive attorney-client privilege. This is what you get when you're, when you're stupid. She's mocking the executive committee for waiving attorney-client privilege, which is true. They never should have done it. But last year, she was saying, it's 3 a.m. and I'm still awake after an exhausting week trying to write and document the importance of waiving attorney-client privilege. That's what she was saying um, in September of 2021. And she comes back and says, nothing's changed. It was stupid on their part to waive privilege because they're actually guilty. It was brilliant on my part to advocate for it so we could show how guilty they are. That's what she's saying now. And this, this, she, was, she was used as a prop by these, these uh, uh, institutionalists like Grant Gaines to push this through. We found out, of course, from the Guidepost report, there's no widespread sex abuse problem in the SBC. They had to use Johnny Hunt and David Sills as the primary content for that report. So we know. So, I mean, you got Hannah Kate Williams mocking the, the executive committee for waiving privilege and then, and then mocking our faith generally speaking. This was uh, four days ago. She says, tweets out, is it really that surprising when a religion that's born out of impregnating a young virgin which its savior, with its savior has rampant child abuse. Hannah Kate Williams saying, um, apparently the Virgin Mary was a sex abuse victim. The, um, the Holy Spirit conceiving Jesus Christ in the Virgin Mary's womb was some sort of a, uh, indication of child sex abuse. This is, this is the person, this is the, the circus that these people have created by not insisting on biblical justice in the face of worldly pressure, biblical justice, fidelity to the word of God in the face of accusations from the world. This is what you get. So we will see we're obviously, I will be there next week. We'll follow it closely. I appreciate everybody hanging out uh, for what is close to a two hour uh, live stream here for protesting tonight. Thank you patrons for all of your support, especially if you want to join them, protestia uh, patronage can be had or can be, you can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash protestia five ninety five a month. You'll get the full version, which is normally about 45 to 50 minutes freeloader. And then the, the PT VIP where we answer sincere questions. This was an important enough issue. I know our intrepid patron supporters, um, appreciate this information getting out to you. Um, stay in touch with us. Head over to protesty.com to read all the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news and pray for the messengers of the SBC annual meeting that they will be faithful to the word of God and be voting that way. As always, Semper Reformandum.